0: We did just get a little bit twisted there with the order we were going to show that video after we prayed. And those are some of the kids that we saw at VBS throughout this last week asking great questions. And it's really just a teaser for an upcoming sermon series that begins after Labor Day called Asking for a Friend. Honest questions for God. Sometimes, you know, we ask for a friend and, you know, really it's for us. And that's why we're, we're looking at questions that maybe are just hard questions to answer maybe questions that kids have asked you, because, man, kids can ask some incredible questions. You heard some really honest and hard questions. Some questions that they asked are probably still questions that you're asking, and friends of yours are asking. This could be a great opportunity to invite others who maybe you've been having conversations with about faith, but maybe there's some questions that they've, you've found difficult to answer, or maybe that they've found it difficult to reconcile with the Christian faith. So, encourage you to, to continue to look 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 for more information over the coming days and ways that you can invite others to join us for that first, beginning that first weekend after Labor Day. This evening though and we we're, we're coming to the end of this sermon series that we've been in for a number of weeks now the sermon series called Who's on First Knowing God by Name where each week we're looking at another title for God or another name of God that we find in the Bible and as we're looking at these names we're asking ourselves the very simple question who is God who is this God what's his nature What's his character? What is he like? What can we expect from him? What is expected from us if he is, in fact, the God that is revealed through the name that we are exploring? And We've looked at a whole bunch of names, and each week along the way, we've had our Who's on First trading cards, and so you got yours for this evening, I hope, on your way in. If you didn't, you can still grab those. They are in the Welcome Center, and actually, we have the the past ones in the Welcome Center as well, if you're still trying to fill in your set, because, of course, they will be valuable someday. It's not like we can just print more. Okay, maybe we can just print more, but that's all right. Neither, whatever. So, I hope you'll grab on to those, and they're really there just as a tool for you to take with you as a reminder, a tangible thing just to hold on to throughout the week that says, yes, this is God. This is who He is in my life. When I, when I was in high school, I played basketball on the, the, the team, and it was truly a love and a passion for me. Uh, I fell in love with it as a freshman and really just became incredibly serious about it. I a- had aspirations of playing much beyond high school. And while I was playing, our-, our coach didn't really want us during the season to go skiing or snowboarding. Now, this is hard when you grow up in the mountains of Colorado. And it was particularly hard because my dad grew up ski racing. And then he was ski patrol and a ski instructor. And he is the one that taught me how to ski. And it was something that we always would do together and as a family growing up. And so, it was really hard when high school came around and my coach encouraged me. And I decided not to go skiing with him during the season. It was incredibly disappointing for him. And he was frustrated with my coach, disappointed with me for making that decision. As a matter of fact, it's something we still talk about to this day, just how uh, he disagreed with that choice. And as we get to the name of God this evening, we're going to have to navigate some feelings of disappointment. We're going to have to navigate what that means for us, how we feel about that, and how God ultimately feels about us. And so, we're going to jump in this evening to Romans chapter 8, and we're going to read. And you can follow along on the screen. If you'd like, listen for God's word speaking to you and to me this evening. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have, no, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh, to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share it in His sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. And let's pray as we move into God's word together. Heavenly Father, as you reveal yourself this evening as our Father, may you allow us to be open. May you allow us to hear from you You've promised here that your spirit testifies with our spirit, and so may that testimony take place. May we hear it and receive it and hold on to it this evening. It's in the name of Jesus that we trust and we pray. Amen. So, we're talking about one of the most common names that we know of God. We're talking about Father. Father. In Aramaic, it's Abba, which was in the passage. In Greek, it's Pater, Father, also right here in this passage. And this is, is on one hand, an incredibly common name. We're very familiar with it. We use it frequently. On the other hand, it comes with a lot of weight when we actually begin to consider it. We consider it deeply. And, And On one hand, I want to acknowledge up front that that this name does not make a claim that God is male. This was a metaphor that God chose to use. Very clearly, elsewhere, we find that God is spirit. He is not defined by male or female physical anatomy. As a matter of fact, other metaphors in other places, motherly imagery is used for God, What is found here is a name that when we unpack its significance, helps us grab onto the very personal, intimate nature of God. That's why he reveals himself as Father. That's why we have this name. And when we think about Father, we think about this so commonly because on one hand, God is the Father of all of humanity, isn't he? He created everyone. So, everyone has their source, their origin of being in God. And so, in that way, he is ultimately, absolutely our father. And, and yet, in this sense, his fatherhood is really kind of the same as the fatherhood of your biological father. And there might be a difference between your biological father and your dad, There might be a difference between your biological father and the father who raised you, who nurtured you, who cared for you, who loved you. There might be a difference between your biological father and your day-to-day father. And there is a distinction found throughout Scripture that only occasionally is God referred to as father of all of humanity. It's actually only a few times in the whole of Scripture. The rest of the time is a very different connotation about what it means that God is Father. I was listening to a a TED talk that was given by a guy named Otto Kelly. He's the executive director of a crisis pregnancy center in Reno, Nevada. And he was reflecting on the reality of the father wound, as he calls it. The incredible statistics that, in his line of work, of how many of the young kids who end up in crisis pregnancy situations have no father at home. Eighty percent is the number. He's reflecting on, with these young women, and he's talking with many of them, and he, he was asking them what, what they had hoped for in a father. And consistently, they came back with these four things. They were hoping that, that there would be a father who would give them protection, who would give them provision who would give them presents, who would give them praise, presence as in not gifts, but the very presence of being present, and praise, like he was pleased and proud of them. It was their longing. See, that's what a day-to-day dad would give. Not necessarily a biological dad. Day-to-day dad is present, is there through the thick and the thin. Day-to-day dad sets guardrails to protect, to provide, because of their care for their children. You know, Paul's reflecting in the passage that we just read. He's saying, we have an obligation, but it's not to the flesh. It's to the Father. It's not to the flesh, who for many, the flesh perhaps is really the day-to-day Father, the day-to-day authority. Rather than following the guidelines, the guardrails, the, the protected edges that God has set and said, hey, this is the best thing for you, my way, I've got good, good intentions and good purposes for you. That's why I've set these limits on what's good and not good for you, like a good father. And yet so often, we as humans, we don't really like limits, do we? Like when we're told no, that's immediately the thing we go for. Everett's 21 months old, our youngest, and he's already demonstrating that to be true. No, you cannot push the chair over to the edge of the couch, climb up on the arm of the couch, and jump off of it like you're jumping off of the top ropes in the WWE. No, you cannot, except for he did yesterday, and that's why he hurt his head. But I said no, and he still wanted to put it back, even though he had been crying just moments ago, right? God has guardrails in place to protect us. And yet, we within us have this desire to push against the limitations, to push against what he set for our own good, and it's where that's where Paul is saying the flesh is living. The flesh is that tendency within us, the desires within us to push against God's good limits that he's set for us for our own good and protection. It's the desires that rise up within us to push against it those desires that don't align with God's good purposes for our lives. And those take a lot of different forms. Sometimes those are are desires that are related to to appetites, sexual appetites, appetites for pleasure, for drugs, for power, for for relief, for enjoyment. Sometimes it's a desire that we give into when we lash out at somebody when, you know, we know that that's not going to be helpful in the end especially when you have to go share a bed with that person later. And yet, it pops right out. The flesh rises up and we push against the limit that's been set for us. And Paul says, when we give in, when we live by the flesh, it leads to death. And we can see that in a lot of different ways. If we just give in to every desire, every moment, is all about what we want, when we want it, how we want it. We push against those guardrails that have been set up for us. We know that it's going to lead to the destruction of our relationships because we're going to be a constantly be a taker. We're going to constantly be taking what we want. We're going to constantly be feeding the desires of ourselves, and we won't be giving back. We know it's going to lead ultimately to the death of relationships. God's saying it's ultimately going to lead to the withering of our soul because it's going to leave us empty and longing for more with no way to be able to fill it. It's going to lead to death. And so the Father has set these guardrails, these protections for us because he wants to lead us in a path that's going to ultimately be for our own good. In other words, God's saying, hey, let me be your father. Let me be your dad. Let me be your day-to-day. I remember uh, I had a good friend growing up in elementary school, and he called his dad Pop. Now, for me, that was weird. I'd never heard that in my life before. You know, that that was a a whole new thing, but that was an intimate phrase for them. That that was a a word that was not just a recognition that, yeah, you're my biological dad. It was a, a recognition of the intimate relationship that his dad and he had day in and day out through their lives as they walked together. Maybe for you, it's not pop, but what do you call your dad? For some of us, even that question brings a lot of pain with it. I know that. And that song that we sang earlier is such a helpful reminder that God is not the same as your father. If your father was hurtful hurtful to you, if your father did not provide those four Ps, protection, provision, presence, and praise... God is a different father than that. But for others, you know there's a difference, and you know that there's an intimate name that you can call. Maybe it's for you, it's just dad, or it's daddy, or it's pops. I'm sure there's others. But God doesn't become that intimate dad, that day-to-day dad, simply because he made us We're told over and over throughout the Bible that God is our father like that, our day-to-day father, by adoption. It was actually the pattern that God demonstrated throughout all of history. The entire Old Testament, the story of, of Israel, is actually a story of adoption. God adopting this people, this tribe. and. Claiming them for his own, for a special relationship, a special purpose, a special function that they would demonstrate to the world what an intimate relationship with God was supposed to look like. One where you allow him to be the day to day guide and the, you respect the guardrails and you follow his will and his intent and his plan and see how it leads to incredible human flourishing. He had adopted them as his own, that he could be their father and they could be his children. It was the pattern. And and actually, Paul is saying in that same tradition, that same line, God is consistent. He is still father in the same way. God became Paul's father, and he becomes our father, our day-to-day father, also by adoption. It's not just something that can be assumed. It's by adoption. And adoption in, in Paul's day was something that was really complicated. There was a lot and a lot of implications to it. And there still is in our day a lot to adoption. But there was a profound power that a father had over the life of children and their family. Actually, the father of the children of a household literally held their life in his hands. That he could decide whether they should live or they should die. He had that absolute authority in his own home. And, and so, to become adopted in Roman society was complicated because that father had to give up that absolute right and authority and claim over the child. And it happened through this, this big you know, ceremony and symbolic processes where the father would two times would sell, symbolically, sell the son off, but then would buy him back. But the third time would sell off the son and would refuse to buy him back, and that was the the symbolic breaking of the father-son bond. It was a rejection of that son by the father. It was a casting out. And then another would-be father would have to come along and would have to make a legal claim, have to make a case before a magistrate to say that there's a good reason. This, This one should become my son. And when that happened, man, the, the consequences of adoption were amazing. It was irrevocable. You couldn't change your mind. So, you better, if you, if you were going to adopt somebody, you better be ready. You better take it seriously. Because you, you can't do what the first father did. You can't revoke, renounce your right of adoption. You were in it for the long haul. And that meant for the one who was adopted, they lost all of their rights in their old family all of their obligations, all of their identity was gone. But they gained all of the rights, all of the obligations of the new family. They became a legitimate son. And in fact, they even received a portion of the inheritance. And it didn't matter how many other sons the father would have before or after the adopted son, they always got that right. So actually, the adopted son had in, in a way, had higher status in the home than the natural sons, because the natural sons could be killed or they could be disowned. And the adopted son was secure. Under the law, the adopted son no longer had any debts. It was like claiming bankruptcy. You got to start all over again. You were truly a new person, Completely as you were claimed into this new family as an adopted child. I mean, this was profound. And Paul is saying, he's writing this in the book of Romans, which means he's writing it to Roman society who knows all of the implications of the Roman adoption. And he's saying, that's what God has done for you. He's freed you from all of the other obligations He's freed you from all of the servitude. He's freed you from all of the debt. He's freed you from all of the past. He's freed you from anything that has identified you before in a way that perhaps has left you empty and hollow and dead. He's freed you from the flesh. And he has redeemed you. He has purchased you. He has chosen you. Isn't that amazing about adoption? You choose to have a child. I mean, my my sister and brother-in-law almost two years ago adopted a baby girl. It's amazing. Hope's going to grow up knowing that mom and dad chose her, desperately wanted her. It was their pleasure, their desire to change and alter their entire life to include her. Can you hear the, the God... The Father has done that for you. He's altered everything, that you and I are co-heirs with Christ. We are sons and daughters adopted, chosen, irrevocably chosen. Why is it irrevocable? Because Jesus was the cost. His body broken on a cross was the price of adoption. His resurrection from the dead was the seal of his claim. Those can't be undone. And so your adoption is irrevocable. That you are a chosen, desired daughter and son of the Father. So why do I still feel like such a disappointment? Isn't that something we feel a lot? Still feel like I sometimes feel when I think back and letting my dad down by not skiing in high school. Think about the ways that I've embarrassed our family throughout the years and those are twinges of disappointment. Feel that in my relationship with God sometimes. Man, why did I do that? I pushed up against the guardrail again. There's the flesh jumping out I'm trusting, trusting in myself, as Amanda shared. I'm not relying on you. All these ways that we can, we can then recognize it, and we can say, man, I haven't represented the family very well. And I'm sure, I'm sure the father's disappointed. <laughs> I mean, if you're honest with yourself, if you look in the mirror, look within your soul, and I ask you the question, how does God feel about you? what's your honest answer? Because what this passage is telling us is that his answer is that he chose you. And he chose you not because he was in any way obligated, but because it was his free choice and he wanted you. And so, I have to remind myself of my adoption. I have to remind myself that it is irrevocable. I have to remind myself that I am chosen by God to be a son of the, of the father of the universe. And the spirit testifies with my spirit, says Paul, that yes, this is in fact true. And that spirit allows me to make that intimate cry in my prayers, Abba, Father. Abba is what Jesus called God. It's what he called the Father. Father. And when he gave us the Lord's Prayer, he invited us to also call God Abba. Abba is an Aramaic word, and, and at one point it was thought that it was a, it was a word of, of incredible intimacy in the home, and, and that may in fact true, but more study has actually indicated that it's almost, it's actually kind of like the very first sounds that a child can even make. And so it's the first cry of the heart of the child is for the father that cry of desperation, of vulnerability, helplessness for one who will protect, who will provide, who will be present, who will praise, who is pleased with me. Now, we struggle, I think, with that reality that God is, in fact, a pleased Father because often we're focused on how we're a failure and we're a disappointment. Matter fact, I think if, if we continue to struggle with the possibility that God is pleased with us, then what it's actually showing within our heart and our soul is that we're still relating to God, not as Father who has adopted and chosen, but as God who is only judge over me, who is only going to look at my life and weigh it out on the scales. And when I find out at the end, I'm probably going to be found wanting. See, it betrays the fact that I'm not actually trusting that Jesus was the cost, the price, the irrevocable cost of my adoption. I'm really trusting in my own inherent value and worth to somehow be worthy of being called a child of God. And that's where the Spirit, I think, is testifying to us stop, give it up. It's not working we're living under a cloud of constantly feeling like God is disappointed with us, it's probably because we're trusting on our own worth and merits looking at our life rather than on the merits of Jesus. And if we trust in the merits of Jesus, if we're holding on to Him as the, as the cost and the source of our adoption to true son and daughtership, then you know what God sees? And He sees the beloved, pure, beautiful, precious, innocent child that he wants to be father to, that he wants to provide, to protect, that he wants to be present with by sending his spirit to be with you, and he wants to praise even. Is that hard to believe? That God wants to praise you He wants to praise you. To let you know I'm pleased with you. Well done. I am proud of you. I love you. Words are our dry and parched souls long to hear. And the Father longs to speak them. But as long as we continue to rest on our own merits, look at our own failure and disappointment, to look how our flesh has risen up, how we push against the limits and the guardrails, how, yes, we've left ourselves empty and, and lacking, then we're just going to continue to long to hear that. But when we can recognize that God is pleased to adopt you, and Jesus was pleased to be the cost, because the Father And the Son and the Spirit long for us to be in an intimate relationship where we can cry out to Abba, Father. We put our trust in Him. In Hebrews chapter 12, if you just need more more proof, it tells us to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Then it says, who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Well, the question is, what was the joy set before him? What was the joy set before him? Was it to be re- reunited with the Father? Well, that seems kind of, kind of odd, Because actually, he was united with the Father before he ever came to earth, so he didn't actually need to choose this road. There was no joy on this road that he lacked previously, and so there was something else that was before him through his life, through his death, through his resurrection. There was some other joy that wasn't there. You. That the Father is pleased to adopt you. And the Son, it is His joy to be the irrevocable price that allows you to cry out, Abba, Father. And that the Father can be the one who protects, who provides, who is present, and yes, who even praises you because He is pleased when He looks at you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is it's big for us to even try to bear. <laughs> We're so used to looking at ourselves, looking at our merits, looking at our worth, looking at whether or not we've been able to, to keep it between the guardrails. And when we do, we feel good about ourselves and we feel like, yeah, maybe you could be pleased with us. And then, then it happens again where we push beyond and, and we feel the disappointment. We feel the shame. We feel, we feel all these things. Where we recognize that we often are standing on our own worth and our own merit. Lord, may you give us the grace to break free of that, to recognize that we get to call you Father not just because you made us and not because we have somehow been proven worthy, but because you chose us out of your free will. And you chose us because you are pleased to claim us and bring us to yourself. Lord, may we experience your arms wrapping around our parched and weary souls. May we hear you speak the words of praise and pleasure and love and intimacy within us. May we hold fast to you. May we let you be the father that can protect, provide, be present, and praise. Lord, we love you because you have first loved us. Amen.